Okay, so uh, today we're going to talk about part three. We're going to talk about covenant. Covenant. Um, covenant is a bond or an agreement between two parties in which there are promises made and consequences if the covenant is broken. Um, all of you ladies, when you were in third or fourth grade, you know, you had a best friend and y'all saw a boy that y'all both liked and you said, well, I'm not going to like that boy if you don't like that boy, you know, because we're best friends. And then you put your pinkies out and you pinky promised, you know, we're not going to give that boy our attention. That's a covenant. You just made a covenant. Now, <clears throat> I don't know if you broke that covenant or not, but that's a covenant. Um, whenever you decided to buy a home, you did not have the money to buy your home. You did not make enough money. You haven't earned enough money. You didn't save enough money. So you call a mortgage company and you say, listen, the money that you have, I want to take your money from you that you've earned. And um, I want to take it to buy what I want to buy for me. But I'm going to return double the money over the course of 30 years. And they, if they agree, then you sign your name and you're in covenant relationship. Right. And you should keep that covenant. You pay your bills. If someone lends you money, you better pay your bills. OK, that's that's a covenant relationship. Um, there are covenants. What, the president, when he takes an oath, policemen, police women, they take an oath. That's a covenant they're making. Everybody understand covenant. Um, covenants is, is the way that God interacts with um, free will, moral agents. It's a way where he um, gives us reason to love him and reason to move forward in life and reason to forgive. It's, 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 it's all through the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. It's, it's all about covenants. Um, I'm going to ask you a question and I need you to get it right because I've already taught you this before and it'll really offend me if you get it wrong. So what is the great, and I need everybody to answer too. What is the greatest covenant on planet earth between any two human beings? Marriage. Marriage. Good job. You did good. In fact, the whole Bible likens marriage to salvation. So I want you to think about that. In our society in America, out of all the cultures on earth, we're probably the least um, when it comes to marriage and how important and amazing it is. But yet God chose marriage to explain salvation through the entire Bible. Through the entire Bible. You know, it, when you're married, if somebody commits adultery or infidelity or whatever, just because you're able to divorce them doesn't mean you're supposed to divorce them. In fact, I've seen some of the greatest marriages ever were the ones that had the most horrible things going on. They decide to stay together, work it out, and God does great things. Isn't it great that when you cheat on God, he doesn't leave you? Isn't that really great that when you commit adultery on God, he says, I'm, I'm going to keep pursuing you. I'm going to keep loving you. I'm going to go after you every single day of your life. And yet he likens salvation to marriage. That, that's amazing to me. So there are five main covenants in the Bible. Now, if you're a Bible thumper, don't send me an email saying there's seven or there's eight. Okay, we're going to go over the major five today. Major five covenants. This is the way God interacted with moral agents all through the Bible. And I put them up here on the screen, and they're on your handout as well. I decided to put the timeline on there because I don't know if people really understand the timeline of the Bible. And I wanted to kind of show that with you is this. You know, Abraham, uh, uh, Adam and Eve, they were 6,000 years ago. Right? You got them in 4,000 B.C., 6,000. And listen, again, don't write me an email. I'm, I'm rounding the numbers, okay? I realize it wasn't exactly 6,000 by the month and year and day, but, you know, 6,000 years ago. Now, do you know that from Genesis 1, which is Adam and Eve, to Genesis 6, which is Noah, there's 1,500 years there? Just in the first book of the Bible, you actually have, let's see, 1,500. You actually have um, 2,000 years just in the first just in the first first book of the Bible. So, of course, uh, 2500 B.C. is the Noahic covenant. Obviously, that's with Noah. That is an unconditional covenant. 
And it's also called the Universal Covenant. And I'll explain why in a little bit. Okay? I'm going to do a lot of teaching today. Next week I'll be funny and lighthearted and handsome. Today I'm going to be ugly and I'm going to teach. Okay? 2000 BC is the Abrahamic Covenant, which obviously that's with Abraham. That is unconditional. Everybody say unconditional. I'll show you what that means in a second. Then 1500 BC is the Mosaic Covenant which of course is with Moses, and that is a conditional covenant. Now that is called the Old Covenant. Um, the word covenant in the Bible, you might wanna write this down, is the exact same word in Greek as the word testament. Same exact word, and I'll tell you why that they use two different words in the Bible towards the end of the sermon. So when you see your Bible, I want you to realize what you really basically have here is the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. The Old Testament and the New Testament. And the reason I'll tell you why, the reason they use Testament is because when you're talking about the people making the covenant, there's no English word for covenator. You can't say, you know, Jesus is my covenator. You know, you can't. But there is a word called testator, which is the testament, which is the, the covenant between the two people that made the testament. So testator is a word. That's why we use the word testament here instead of covenant. But anyway, 1000 BC, Davidic covenant, unconditional. And then 30 AD is the covenant with Jesus. It's conditional. And that's the one you need to find out what the condition is. He loves you unconditionally, but to be in covenant, there is a condition of something that you need to have, okay? And we'll talk about that, and that is the new covenant. Now, the covenant with Jesus is the covenant that allows us to be in relationship with God. Um, healing, peace, joy, um, all energy, strength, you know, wisdom, all these things in life. So you really want to get in on that covenant. That's the most important covenant on here. Okay? So we're going to talk about the five covenants. Three of them are unconditional, and two of them are conditional. Three unconditional, two conditional. So point number one for your notes is this, the unconditional covenants. Now, I'm going to do a lot of teaching in each point, but then at the end of the point, I'm going to tell you why I taught you that. And you'll be like, oh, okay, I get it now. That's great. Okay? So you might not understand it first, but we'll get there. Um, these unconditional covenants, they are enforced regardless of behavior. It's a very good God we serve <clears throat> that he makes a way and finds a way, even though he's perfect and we're not, to do good things for us no matter how we act. That's a really good God. These are unconditional covenants. So 1A is the Noahic covenant. That is the universal covenant. I'll show you why. Um, the first time the word covenant appears in the Bible is Genesis 6, 18, when he says, I'm going to make a covenant with you, Noah. And then we see the covenant in chapter 9, verses 9 through 3. God told Noah, I establish my covenant with you and your descendants after you. Let me ask you this. Are you a descendant of Noah? Are you a descendant of Noah? Yes. So we get in on this. In fact, those of you that have a dog, your dog actually gets in on this covenant. Your ferret, your turtle, your hamster, your goldfish, not your cats. They go to hell. But all the other animals get in on this, okay? <clears throat> Y'all knew it was coming. You knew it was coming. In my wife's case, your broccoli, your asparagus, your, your tomatoes, they all get in on it too. Okay, okay here we go. Because animals taste good and vegetables do as well. Okay, so with every living creature, every living creature that's with you, thus I establish my covenant with you. Here's the covenant. Never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. I set my rainbow as a sign of the covenant between me and you and every living creature and in the earth. Okay, have you ever seen a rainbow, yes or no? Yes. That is God saying this, I have a covenant with you. Now you can take that rainbow and you can fly it for pride and homosexuality, but I, when I put the rainbow up, it's what it means. I'll never destroy you with the flood again. I'll always, I'll never flood the earth. And, and you know, he flooded the earth because they were full of pride. They were 
full of pride, so he destroyed it because nobody wanted God. Nobody wanted it full of pride. And then he puts the rainbow up there, and then we take the rainbow and, and hang it up as a sign of pride. Blows my mind, okay? But but um, now, this is a universal law. You cannot break, you cannot break a universal law of God. You can only illustrate it. Um, gravity is a universal law. If you jump off a building, you're not going to break gravity, but you will illustrate it very, very well. Okay? So we can only illustrate this. When we see the rainbow, that's it. We know God has this covenant. He'll never do it again. And, and by the way, no person can put a rainbow in the sky. Only God can. I just want you to know. Okay. And it happens after a storm has passed by. It's through a storm cloud is the actual common name for the type of cloud. Isn't that good when a storm passes by, God says, I still got you. I still got you. Okay. 1B, the Abrahamic covenant. Genesis 17, 2, I will make my covenant with you and you shall be the father of many nations. Behold, my covenant is with you. So this was a covenant between God and Abraham. And he said this, all of Israel, the whole earth will be blessed from your seed. Your children, grandchildren, great-grandchildren. Now listen, this is an unconditional covenant. Everybody say unconditional. That means it didn't matter what Abraham did, God was going to make him a father. Now you're thinking this, if it's unconditional, he had to sleep with his wife. He had to do something. I mean, if, it's gonna, if he's going to be a father, the way for him to be a father, he has to sleep. So obviously, he, ha- he couldn't have said, God, I'm not going to sleep with my wife, and let's see if you do this. And this is an unconditional covenant. Listen, I have proof that God can impregnate a woman without a man. If he wanted to, God could have said, okay, Abraham, I will take the DNA from you, and I'll supernaturally put it into Sarah, and you're going to be a father whether you like it or not. It was unconditional. Now, Abraham decided he was going to be a part of it. You know, he, God allowed him... You know, Abraham, do you want me to do it or do you want to do it? You know what? Give me a blue pill, I'll do it. We got a covenant's working. Covenant's working, okay? We're going to have a covenant. Okay, so Abraham was very excited to be a part of this one, okay? 1C, the Davidic covenant. Second Chronicles 21.7, the Lord would not destroy the house of David because of the covenant he made with David. He promised to put his sons on the throne forever. So this is a covenant that God said, David, for the rest of eternity, one of your bloodline is always going to be king. Always going to be king, no matter what you do. And you know, you know, Jesus is in the lineage of David. So he's the king of kings. So God kept his promise. Every one of David's sons, grandsons, grandchildren, this was a covenant God made. Now here's the point I want you to see. God never breaks a covenant. I need you to get this in your heart before we get to point number two. God never, ever, ever, ever has ever in the history of the universe ever broken his side of a covenant ever. In fact, one time Israel accuses God of breaking a covenant. You said you'd do this for us. You said you'd be here. And God says to them, you committed adultery and left me. I never left you. I never did. In fact, Isaiah 51, show me the certificate of the divorce in which I said, I didn't send you away. You turned your back on me. And if you keep reading Isaiah 50, it's a messianic prophecy of Jesus. And he says this, I let him beat me. I let him pull the hair out of my, I did everything I could to get to you. I gave my life and I'm pursuing you since, the, since before you breathed oxygen. I was pursuing you. Don't ever say I broke a covenant. You turned your back on me. And even when you were quit committing adultery on me, I didn't divorce you. I pursued you. Can you imagine being married to somebody and every single day they do you wrong and you say, I still love you and I'm still coming after you. That's what God does. He never breaks a covenant. Now, I'm going to say something very sarcastically. Very sarcastically. Isn't it good that um, after God did this great covenant with Noah, isn't it good that Noah was such a good guy after that and he never got drunk and never got naked? Isn't that great that he was just that kind of guy? Okay? 
Obviously he did. And the word naked in Noah's story doesn't mean take your clothes off. It means um, indecent exposure. So he got like sock steam naked. Like it was like, you know, it was, it was bad. Um, isn't it great that after God made the covenant with Abraham, that Abraham was so holy after that, and he never lied about his wife so that a king could sleep with her and not kill him. And he never slept with his maid, and he never sent his 14-year-old son to go die out in the wilderness. Isn't that great that Abraham was such a good, godly man after the covenant? And obviously, David never did anything wrong at all, did he? Like commit adultery, murder, didn't discipline his children. Here's what I want you to see. When we are um, unfaithful, he's still faithful. Man, we can turn our back on him so many times, and he's still faithful. I mean, the things that we do, and we don't even realize it, but when you put it next to what it means to be married, when, and, 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 and you only, imagine only seeing your spouse on Sunday morning. That's the only time you spend with them. And every day, Monday through Saturday, they pursue you. You say, no, only on Sundays. He never, he never, ever, ever, ever breaks the covenant. Even when we're, we're unfaithful, he's always faithful. Point number two is this, the old covenant. <clears throat> The Mosaic Covenant. This was conditional, okay? Now, this covenant has to do with being in relationship with God for all people who are willing to do every single thing God says and never make one mistake their entire life. <clears throat> Sound like a good covenant to you, yes or no? Yeah. No, it sounds horrible. Exodus 24-7. Then Moses took the book of the covenant and read it to the people, and they said, everything God said. Have you ever read the book of Leviticus before? Oh, it's such an exciting book. If you ever can't sleep at night, that's the book you read before you go to bed. It'll give you nightmares, but read it, it'll put you to sleep. Everything God said, even that one of that chapter about a scab, oh, we will do it. We'll obey everything you say to do. Do you know when God was giving them the first 10, there were 613, started with the 10 commandments. While he was giving them the first 10, they were already breaking half of them. While he was giving, they were, they were already breaking the first 10 while God is telling them not to do it. And you know what? Um, you can't even keep the first 10. In fact, every one of you in this room are a liar. Every one of you in this room are a liar. After church, I want you to get your driver's license. Uh, we have a scale at the back of church and we're gonna weigh all of the women and we're gonna see if what you wrote down, your weight is, if it matches that scale. Then we have a measuring tape for all the men. And we're going to see if your height is what you really tell everybody your height is. <laughs> a bunch of liars. All y'all liars. So then, so then why did God even give it if he knew that they were going to break it and fail? Well, one reason is so they would love Jesus whenever Jesus comes. But another reason is this. Um, he was establishing a society. There were no morals. You have to understand. Remember I told you that when Adam and Eve ate from the knowledge of the good and evil, now instead of being hearing God's voice, now it's based on right and wrong. Okay? They didn't know right and wrong. They had no When Cain killed Abel, no one ever said don't murder. He had no idea. He hits his brother in the head with a rock, and he thinks, man, he's been asleep for years. When is he going to wake up? No, no, no one had ever died. And I know you're thinking this. You're thinking, well, I would know what's right and wrong. No, you wouldn't. If you, if you were born on an island somewhere all by yourself, and then people start, you would have no idea what right and wrong is. No idea. I remember one time, you know, when a child's born, you have to teach them right. They already know wrong. They already know wrong. I remember one time, um, Zach, one of my sons, he was slapping his little brother, Eli. And Eli was letting him do it, but I could tell it was hurting him. And I walked into, I said, 
What are you doing? I said, stop slapping your little brother. And Zach looked right at my eyes and he did this. And he kicks Eli. And so I pulled my hand back because I was going to pop his tail. He says, no, 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 no. He says, you didn't say I couldn't kick him. I said, you know what? You're right. I didn't say you couldn't kick him. Don't do anything that harms your brother at all. And so you're thinking, well, you know what? If there was no, I still know right from wrong. You would have, the world would never know right from wrong without the Bible. Unless they're in relationship with God and the Holy Spirit speaks to them. But before Jesus, no one knew right and wrong except for the word of God. In fact, if, if Myrtle Beach removed all of the speed limit signs, none of you would drive the way you're supposed to drive. No. And you would think, well, of course not, because we wouldn't know what the speed limit is. Exactly. You would never know what the speed limit is supposed to be unless there was, and of course that's a, a human law, but you, you see the point I'm making with this, Romans 7, 7, Paul said this, I wouldn't have known it was wrong to covet unless the Bible said, don't covet. I wouldn't have known it was wrong to say, I want my, my, my neighbor's um, wife, I want his car, I want his house, I wouldn't have known that was wrong until I read in the Bible, thou shalt not covet. You wouldn't have known racism is wrong without the Bible. If you were born 100 years ago or 50 years ago, you would have never known racism was wrong unless you opened up the Word of God and read it. You would never know that. Um, um, oh, let me say this. Okay, so um, when you read the Bible, when you're reading the Old Testament, the Old Law, I want you to see that this is the heart of God and the morals of God. And the reason is, is because God loves people and wants people to succeed. And he doesn't want us to do things that hurt people. So I need you to get this in your heart. In other words, um, the Bible doesn't say anything about train wrecks. But let me ask you, is God for or is God against train wrecks? Why is he against train wrecks? Because it hurts people. You hear me? Is he for or against murder? Against it. Why? Because it hurts people. Is he for or against stealing? He's against it. Okay, so now you agree with that. I need, you to, I need you to really agree with this. Is he for or against unforgiveness in your heart? He's against it because it hurts you. Is he for or against lust? Against it because it hurts you. Homosexuality, sex outside of marriage, lying, whatever you want to say. If it's in the Bible and says don't do it, it's not like I don't want you to have fun and enjoy your life. It's this, it will hurt you. Now, you can either believe the word or you can experience and then believe the word. I suggest you believe it because it's in there rather than experience it. Okay, we good? Okay, so point number three, and here's the good stuff. The new covenant. This is with Jesus, and this is conditional. And I'll tell you in about seven minutes what the condition is. Hebrews 8, 8 through 10. Behold, I'll make a new covenant. This is the covenant I'll make. I'll write my law on their minds and their hearts, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. Here's what he's saying. I'm going to have a relationship with you through Jesus Christ. I'm going to be able to speak to you. So let me show you. Um, remember this. The, the Abrahamic covenant is compared to the new covenant, but the Mosaic covenant is contrasted with the new covenant. Okay. So let's do some contrasting with the Mosaic and the new covenant. Okay. In the Mosaic covenant, um, it tells you, you what to do with the first 10% of your income. Jesus said it as well, but I'm just making a point. The first 10% of your income goes to the local storehouse, right? Okay, the local church. Well, the new covenant, God will tell you what to do with the other 90%. He'll give you wisdom and tell you how to spend it. Um, the old covenant, don't have sex outside of marriage. New covenant, I'll tell you who to marry. I'll speak to your heart. This is the person for you so you can live pure with them for the rest of your life. Old covenant, you better go to church. You have to be part of a church. New Covenant, I'm going to tell you which church to go to. Do you see the difference between the law and the, and the relationship? 
really the Mosaic law was religion. Really, really, the old covenant tells us what our sin is, but the new covenant helps us actually overcome sin because we have a relationship with the Holy Spirit. Okay, so the new covenant is contrasted with the Mosaic. And I wanted to show you this for those of you that love the Bible because I just thought it was so cool. Exodus 32 versus Acts chapter 2. In Exodus 32, the law was given. There was a sound from heaven. And if you watch the Ten Commandments movie with um, Charlton Heston, you saw this. There was fire. The law was written on tablets of stone. But 3,000 people died. I just love this. <clears throat> Acts chapter 2. <clears throat> The spirit was given. There was a sound from heaven, fire. The law was written on hearts of flesh. And watch this. And 3,000 people were saved that day. I, I, it, when, you, when you read your Bible, stuff like that just excites me so much. Okay, now it's going to get into more exciting stuff. You know, like, oh, Lord, is this what you call exciting? Okay, so Genesis 15. So the Abrahamic covenant is compared to the new covenant. So as I teach you about the Abrahamic covenant, which we already talked about earlier, I want you to think about salvation. I want you to think about a relationship with God. In Genesis 15, 10, it says this, Abraham slayed the animals because there had to be blood. Everybody say blood. blood. There had to be because sin is passed through the blood. So in this covenant, there was blood. Verse 12, a deep sleep fell on Abram. Now, I told you the Abrahamic covenant was unconditional, right? Now, the new covenant is conditional, but I just want you to see how, let me show you how, how unconditional Abrahamic covenant is. God put him to sleep. God didn't need him. God did not need Abraham. All Abraham had to do was believe. God didn't need him. Watch this. And he, he, he fell asleep. He saw a vision. <clears throat> he saw a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch, which is <clears throat> God the Father and God the Son, between the carcasses. So that day, God made this covenant with Abraham. So let me show you what happened. So Abraham says, okay, I'm going to have a covenant with God. So he, he cuts up the animals. There's blood there or whatever. The way a covenant would work is if you were in covenant relationship with somebody back in those days, and, and Jonathan and David, you know, in the Bible, Jonathan, they were best friends. They had a covenant. The covenant was whoever dies first, the other one will take care of that person's family. Jonathan died first, so David took care of his son Mephibosheth, who was crippled. You know, so a covenant. So the way covenant worked is you, you and the other person's there, and you walk through the blood sacrifice, and then I'll go this way, and he goes that way, and we go around, but then we come back and we meet right here where we started. That represents that no matter where life takes us, because we're in covenant, we always come back together. Let me just show you a little, let me show you a little um, salvation. Okay, watch this. Um, um, God may go this way and I may turn my back on him. But man, I know I shouldn't have. I know what his word says. I know what he tells me. So you know what? When I'm saved, no matter what I do, I'm always going to come back to the fact that God is real and God is truth and God is love. I'm always going to come back to the word. You see that? Just what happened. So Abraham, he cuts the animals, he lays them there, and he's sitting there thinking, when is God going to show up? I'm making this covenant with God. He's going to do great things. Or what am I, what's going to happen? And so God puts him to sleep, and he falls over. You know, and then the son shows up with the father, and Jesus and God walk through, the and they come back around, and they come together. Abraham just wakes up and believes, and he gets in on it. Okay, listen. 2,000 years ago, on a hill called Mount Calvary, our Lord and Savior made a covenant with God the Father. We believe, which is the condition, and we get in on it. In fact, I'm going to show you a scripture that I think is one of the greatest ones in the Bible. 2 Timothy 2.13. If we are faithless, he remains faithful to his word. Here's why. He cannot deny. It doesn't say John Paul. Wouldn't you think if I'm in covenant relationship with God, it would say, hey, I can't deny John Paul. Thank God I'm not the one up there because I make mistakes and God is perfect. It says this, <clears throat> he can't deny himself. You know why? 
He made the covenant with himself. Jesus did all the work for the covenant. He, he did every law perfectly, lived it just right, fulfilled it. And then he has a covenant with God and I get in on it because I believe. Romans 10, 9, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, not friend, by the way, Lord. And believe in your heart, not head. God rose from the dead, you'll be saved. Okay, heart versus head. <clears throat> There's this famous tightrope walker. And one day he was in Myrtle Beach and, and there were these two motels like four stories high and he stretched a cable across the motels and he just started walking across the tightrope, like doing his thing. Just like that, people from the beach started to see him and they started walking there and they were just sitting there mesmerized by him. He walked back, he was juggling, you know, doing something else. People are pulling out their phones, videotaping him. Then he gets a wheelbarrow and he pushes this wheelbarrow all the way across the tightrope all the way back and people are screaming cheering the crowds getting bigger and bigger then he puts his golden retriever in the wheelbarrow and he pushes that golden retriever all the way across the tightrope and all the way back then he takes his eight-year-old son i know he puts his eight-year-old son in the wheelbarrow he gets on the tightrope he goes across he goes back in. he does this for hours and everyone's clapping and cheering he says how many of y'all believe i can do this again without fail I said, yeah, 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 well, you can know you do it. He said, no, how many of you really believe? Yes, we know you can do it. He saw some guy in the audience that had been there since the very beginning, his biggest fan. This guy was so excited. He said, hey, you down there, do you believe I can do this again without fail? He said, I know you can. He said, are you willing to bet $100? The guy screamed back, I'll bet every dollar I have because I believe with everything in me you can do this again. The guy said, okay, get up here and come get in the wheelbarrow. The guy said, I think my wife's calling me. I think I got to go. <laughs> he believed in his head, but his actions. Now listen, getting in the wheelbarrow does not save you. But if you get in it, it shows that you're already saved. If you don't want to get in the wheelbarrow, you have no desire to get in the wheelbarrow, you're not saved. You're not saved. Imagine, um, imagine you say to me, John Paul, are you married? I say, yeah, I'm married. Okay. How often do you see your wife? I see her on Sunday. Well, how often do you affirm her and you know, praise her? Um, on Sunday, sometimes I watch other people do it. How often do you give to make her dreams come true? Every now and then when I get paid really good, like a bonus or something. How often do you read the text that she sends you? I don't really read it, but I get that tall, skinny, good-looking pastor. I let him read it. I let him read the text to her. You know, you say, you say, you're not married. You know your wife. You know a lot about her. But she's not your wife. You're not in relationship with her. She's your acquaintance. She's your friend. You're not Are you with me? Abraham believed so much so that he was willing to sacrifice his son. He thought this. I don't understand this because it seems like he would die and everything God says is life. But if God said do it, I believe. And so he took his son up to a mountain to sacrifice him. In his mind, he's thinking this. Even if he dies, God can just raise him back to life. Because everything God says is life. And of course, the angel stops him, you know, and he doesn't do it. And God says, now, you know, you know for yourself, you believe. You know, no one stopped the hand that came unto Jesus. God sent his only, you see the Abrahamic covenant with salvation? No one stopped God. No one stopped Jesus from dying. Now, okay, so I'm going to give you a good scripture and then a um, okay, the really good scripture and then an amazing scripture, okay? And then I'm done. So in Romans 7, here's the analogy Paul gives about the law versus the new covenant. Romans 7, 4, you have undergone death to the law through the crucified body of Christ, leaving you free. Now you can marry Jesus. You see marriage again in there? Who was raised from the dead in order to bear fruit. The fruit of your life shows if you're saved. 
The fruit of your bank account, the fruit of your words, the fruit of your thoughts, the fruit of your desires, it shows if you're saved. Now, that fruit does not save you, so don't think, well, you know what? I'm going to live pure so I can be saved. I'm going to tithe so I can be saved. I'm going to be a part of a church so I can be saved. No, it's just proof that you're already saved. So if you don't have the desire to serve God with all of your heart, it's okay. You can get saved today. He's the one that changes your heart. You change your mind, he changes your heart. Okay, that was a cool scripture. Now here's the cooler one. Hebrews 9.16. Where there is a testament, remember the same word as covenant, the death of the testator or the covenantor must be established for a testament only takes effect at death since it has no power while the testator is still alive. Didn't that scripture just bless your heart? That was such a blessing. Okay, let me explain it to you. Here's what it's saying. In this new testament, this new covenant, the only way the covenant takes effect is if both parties die. I wish it was referring to physical death. Because that's easy. If it was this, John Paul, the way you can be in relationship with God forever, the way you can live in heaven, the way you can be blessed eternally is if you die physically. I'd say, thank you, Jesus. And I would eat hot dogs for breakfast, lunch, and dinner, and Krispy Kreme right after that. And I'd be dead in no time. And then my life, then I'd be saved after that, right? It's not referring to physical death. And you're thinking this, well, what about Jesus dying on the cross? Okay, I'm going to teach you something, and I'm closing with this. I think Jesus died before he got on the cross. Because I saw a meme the other day on Facebook of, um, of the movie from one of the Superman movies. And the government wanted to talk to Superman, and so they put handcuffs on him and bring him in. Right. And two policemen are walking next to him. And Superman's like this, just humbly walking down the aisle with, with, with handcuffs on. Come on. Yep. If they captured Jesus, and they beat him and tortured him and crucified him, and he couldn't get away, that'd be horrible. Do you know what is a million times more horrible death than that? is choosing every second for that to happen to you. And at any moment, you could break away and be free. I'm going to show you where I think Jesus died before that. Luke 22, 42. And this, is a, this, is a, this scripture shows you what it means to be saved. Father, if you're willing, remove this cup from me. You ready? Not my will, but your will. In that moment when he saw, okay, I'm going to choose to go to the cross. I'm going to choose to be beaten and tortured for the people that I love. I'm going to choose to lay down my life for the very people that are torturing me. I believe in that moment he died. Now, of course, being the son of God, I think he died, you know, of course, before. But I'm just making a scriptural point. I think we see this from the words from his mouth. It's not what I want. It's what God wants. Now, you think this, well, there has to be blood. The blood of Jesus that was shed under the cross. I believe in that. But verse 42 says this. In being in agony, he prayed more intently. And his sweat became like drops of blood. Wow. Fall into the ground. That blood was shed for me right there. Uh, I was doing some research. And the only place in, in human history where there is a recording of, uh, of someone being so for lack of a better word, so stressed out that blood came out of their pores. The only other time I see it in history is in the Roman Colosseum days when they would throw a Christian man into the Colosseum to be eaten by lions. 
before he's about to go in, they would force his wife and children to watch him die at the hand of lions. And this, these men would be so stressed out by that. Their heart would be beating so fast that blood would start to come out of their pores. And that day right there, we see Jesus shedding his blood. Because here's why. Not my will. Now see, I know a lot of people in this room that know a lot about God. And you've been dating him for years. And you've been hearing about him for months. And then maybe you read a text every now and then that he sends you. But you've never surrendered your life to Jesus Christ. That's what it means to be saved. That is the condition of the new covenant. Amen. 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 Okay, y'all.